This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, her story continues to impact the way medicine is taught at many medical schools around the country. Michelle Mayer was my wife of 11 years. She died in 2008, October 2008, of scleroderma, which is a devastating autoimmune disease. All that and more when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Nancy Benson, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show. Here's a preview of what they're covering on Viewpoints this week. This week on Viewpoints. A lot of our stories have a lot of darkness and violence in them, just as the, the real world has. It also depicts young people at the forefront of changing their societies for the better. How young adult fiction can help our teens confront some big topics. Then, is to try and reduce that stigma of hearing voices, to see it as a part of human experience, and it just needs to be understood better in its amazing variety. The history and science of how we talk to ourselves. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station, iTunes and Stitcher. Over the last couple of decades, the relationships that people have with their doctors have changed drastically. For example, patients of a much older generation would never dream of questioning their doctor's orders. Today, however, patients are supposed to be informed. They're encouraged to ask questions and in some cases even challenge their doctor's orders, the kind of behavior that not long ago would have earned you a label as a difficult patient. That's what doctors called Michelle Mayer. Her story continues to impact the way medicine is taught at many medical schools around the country. Michelle Mayer was my wife of 11 years. She died in 2008, October 2008, of scleroderma, which is a devastating autoimmune disease. She was diagnosed after quite some time working through the medical system a few months after we were engaged and about seven, eight months before we were married and got sort of progressively worse during our marriage. We had two children together. Those two children really helped her disease in one sense because it sort of put her disease somewhat in remission at some level. And then she got it worse and worse and worse and died on our, actually on our 11th anniversary in October 2008. That's Dr. William Steinbach, professor and chief of pediatrics and infectious diseases at Duke University. She was a professor of public health policy at UNC School of Public Health in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And her research sort of focused on care and delivering care, and delivering care in the sense of how do you reach the most patients, how do we design healthcare systems to be the best for the actual patient. Where she got involved in sort of from a personal standpoint was probably most famously her article in Health Affairs about being a difficult patient. And this really came about because from her own experiences, she would go to, you know, health economic conferences and things related to that, and hear people talk about healthcare policy but most of them had no understanding of how to deliver health care. Mayer's first career was as a nurse, taking care of pediatric oncology patients while she pursued her master's degree and her doctorate in public health. And then she had her own experience as a patient with a very serious illness. So most of the people that she met in the healthcare policy field, she always felt either did not ever deliver the care nor really were patients with a serious illness besides a broken leg or something like that. So they really sort of missed the boat on both levels. So she really thought this was the best approach for her to focus her career on. And one of her sort of mainstays was 
the concept of a difficult patient. And she really came up with that idea because she knew when she was a nurse on the wards, and she, of course, heard me through my medical school residency and fellowship years and everything in my training, my medical training, often when doctors talk about a quote-unquote difficult patient, it's sort of like a, a customer service person would refer to a difficult customer. The person's obviously referring to them that they're being either rude, misunderstanding, won't go away, won't acknowledge something, won't do what they're told, that kind of thing in a difficult sense. Some patients doctors refer to as difficult won't take their medication or they refuse therapy. But in Mayer's estimation, they also include those who challenge their physicians about prescribed treatments. They ask why, and because Mayer was medically educated, that's what she often did. She, as an educated person with a Ph.D. in health policy, would read the literature, and her husband was a physician, would read the medical literature and say, well, is this the best thing for me? You know, I've read this study as well. You're telling me to do A, but it looks like B is even better. I mean, she would sort of say, look, I'm advocating for myself here. I want the best therapy. She would always contrast that to generally it's usually an older generation of people who just sort of took everything the doctor said as gospel, classically elderly people who would go in and, you know, not question the doctor, not even know what the doctor was really talking about if they sort of left their visit. And you said, well, what did the doctor really tell you? They had no understanding of it. It was sort of like, well, I'm going to have to do this, but I don't really know why I'm taking that yellow pill versus the white pill, much less the ramifications of everything. Michelle was quite the opposite, of course, of understanding like, well, this is my health, especially for a serious fatal illness, like this is my life. I want to be sort of involved in this making decisions. And the upshot of that attitude? She quickly found that some doctors viewed her as difficult and didn't want to talk to her because she would sort of question them. And she, of course, always questioned them in a professional, polite way of saying, well, actually, I read this a different way. Sort of how physicians would talk to each other when you're debating what's the best approach for a certain patient. You're not yelling at the other physician. You're sort of wondering out loud and challenging and saying, well, what's the best approach for this patient? And she found some doctors that would really listen to her and sort of say, well, you have this awful fatal disease. What do you want to do? You know, what are the most important things for you? And so she definitely had a compare and contrast throughout her experience of the physicians she met, some that were, you know, wonderful and some that really sort of took her her whole life in the bigger picture and said, what did she want? And some that were more concerned with their own agenda. At the urging of a close friend, Mayer started writing a blog about her experiences. Writing was cathartic, and the comments Mayer received from patients around the world who identified with her experiences was empowering. Eventually, she wrote an article for the online medical journal Health Affairs titled On Being a Difficult Patient. It was published just a month before she died. But that article is still required reading for students at some medical schools around the country. Because it sort of makes you pause and figure out, as a medical trainee, how do patients look at this? You know, someone once joked to me, as an example, that a simple surgical procedure is only simple for the surgeon. For a patient who's undergoing something as standard for a heart surgeon as an aortic valve replacement, it's only standard and simple for the cardiac surgeon who does, you know, 100 of these a year. For the patient, it's incredibly important. So understanding that is sort of putting it all in context. And then if a patient is challenging you in the sense of, well, tell me why we're doing this. As a provider myself, I welcome the patient's that really want to think and really want to understand things. However, in asking all her questions, Mayer was concerned that she would unintentionally drive away her caregivers, 
so she tried to strike a delicate balance when advocating for herself. This is the person taking care of you. This is potentially the only expert in the field that's in your area code, as an example. You don't want to operate under the assumption that I don't want to irritate this person, that they might they might not spend the extra time with me, they might not explain something as well. God forbid they might even give me the less optimal therapy because they've spent less time researching it. Generally, that's false. Generally, the providers do the right thing. But, you know, everyone likes to be treated appropriately. So I think there is a professional and nice way to sort of do it. Challenging a physician should not be something that people think they should not do. You want to challenge someone appropriately, just like you're challenging the repairman at your house, the mechanic, the anyone. You're saying, really, do I need to have that fuel injection changed here? Does that really make sense? I only have this much money. What's the best way to do this when you're talking about your car? Or what's the best way to make this older car live longer? It's the same idea. But the same token, you have to have the ability to sort of patronize the physicians that you like best. In some ways, Steinbach says it's not unlike patronizing a restaurant. You would never go to a restaurant and have awful service, an awful meal, and go back. So if the physician is not giving you the care you need and you have the ability to, meaning they're not the only provider in the entire part of the state, then I would find someone else. Steinbach says that, unfortunately, some patients who aren't rude or non-compliant but are simply assertive are sometimes still labeled as difficult. But that happens less frequently today. I'd like to think that the people who have read her article, and then clearly me, have become better providers because of it. Because I had the first-hand experience, I've done the best I can to sort of live what she wrote. But I can only imagine this does continue to happen. I have had other friends who have been sick at different levels go to different providers, and they say they wish they, you know, you almost need to have an advocate with you. The difficult label, I think, which should be reserved for someone, you could imagine someone who's difficult from a customer service standpoint of just screaming at the assistants and everything like that, or always late, canceling their appointment at the last minute. You could imagine difficult things, which would be difficult in any customer service field. Medicine's no different. Being assertive is more, you just want to understand everything. And the best ways to do that? This involves reading and research. And now you have to be careful where that reading research comes from. There are specific websites that are more helpful, the CDC, the NIH, things like that. You want to be careful about reading websites that proclaim, of course, that they have the cures for everything. There is a lot of misinformation, medically speaking, on the Internet, so you have to be careful. But understanding what your disease is in a lay sense, not the exact molecular pathophysiology of your disease, that's impossible for you as a non-physician to understand often, but to understand sort of the implications of it, how does it affect your life, what are your goals? Some chronic illnesses, there is no cure. So the goal of cure is not realistic. It's a goal of how do you best go about living that? If you have chronic pain, how do you manage the chronic pain that works best for you? What do you want to do? If you want to be able to run again, walk again, go to your children's soccer games, play the piano, what do you have to do and what do you have to do to get there? Those can be extremely difficult questions, but Michelle Mayer's blog still resonates with patients around the globe. Both when she was alive and after she passed away, that people who posted comments about the blog You had people from literally across the world. And at one point, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think she had over 100,000 people had viewed the blog because it sort of got passed on forward and forward and forward. Someone sort of bearing their soul and saying, this is how I'm dealing with a difficult illness. She was very 
she was very blunt and open in the way that she was dealing with everything, of saying, these are the cards I was dealt, and this is how I'm going to deal with it. Working with her physicians to maximize the best thing for her, this is no different than some other patient with a different illness who maybe has a terminal disease and trying to figure out, okay, I have a few months to live or a few weeks or so, what's the best thing that I want to do? Being assertive without being rude is difficult for many of us, and when you're in pain, it may seem impossible. But with Michelle Mayer's help, many healthcare providers are learning the difference between their difficult patients and their assertive ones, and why being assertive isn't necessarily a bad thing. You can find a link to Michelle Mayer's article on being a difficult patient by visiting our website at radiohealthjournal.net. Our writer-producer this week is Polly Hansen. I'm Reed Pence. The burden of Alzheimer's disease on the nation's families and economy is growing rapidly. The Alzheimer's Association 2019 Alzheimer's Disease Facts and Figures Report finds that an estimated 5.8 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's dementia, and one in three seniors will die from it. More than 16 million Americans are caring for a person with the disease. Dr. Keith Fargo is Director of Scientific Programs and Outreach at the Alzheimer's Association. Alzheimer's is now the sixth leading cause of death in the U.S., and by 2050, the number of Americans with Alzheimer's is going to climb to almost 14 million. This burden to the country and to families is unsustainable, and it's critical that we continue to invest in Alzheimer's research to reverse this trend. Fargo says in 2019, Alzheimer's disease will cost the country $290 billion. And without scientific advancements, that figure will top $1 trillion by mid-century. Learn more about the impact of Alzheimer's disease at ALZ.org. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control of your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank accounts, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problem now by calling the experts at U.S. Tax Shield and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. U.S. Tax Shield offers a price protection guaranteed quote to get you protected today. U.S. Tax Shield is A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau, so call now, 800-568-1647. That's 800-568-1647. U.S. Tax Shield, 800-568-1647. What are you going to do with your old car? You can try selling it, you could junk it, or you can donate it to Heritage for the Blind. Your car will be towed away for free and your donation is tax deductible. Just call 1-800-835-1478. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats. It doesn't matter if your vehicle runs or not. It will be towed away for free and you'll be supporting those that need help. Heritage for the Blind is a nonprofit organization that helps the visually impaired live fuller lives. Call right now to donate your car, and as a special thank you, you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. Call Heritage for the Blind right now. Call 1-800-835-1478. Donating is easy, and your vehicle is towed away for free. Plus, you'll get a free vacation voucher for donating. Call now, 1-800-835-1478. That's 1-800-835-1478. 
Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTrax Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.